0: moving forward uh, during this time. Uh, The first is that uh, chairs of uh, certain committees and uh, clergy and some lay folk will be gathering on Monday virtually um, to have a discussion sort of on a week-by-week basis on how we're best moving forward. You'll be receiving an email on that by Wednesday at the latest every week. So be looking for that email early on in the week uh, just to have your finger on the pulse of the community here at Chapelwood. Uh, there are a number of ways that you can continue to support this, uh, um, this community that uh, gathers here, uh, both physically, a couple of folks here gathering to help run Facebook Live, and then also uh, virtually as we uh, continue to support one another during this season of our lives. As Methodists, we take vows um, to uh, support a congregation with our prayers, our presence, our service, our gifts, and our witness. And it's all those uh, that kind of come to the forefront as we continue to support one another. Yes, you can continue to pray for one another, um, even though we're not physically present. You can um, be present online and uh, spread the word digitally. You can um, invite folks to do, I think it's called like a watch party, which Facebook is doing now, to watch things together. I want to encourage you to look at those different avenues. Um, also we still need your donations and gifts. Uh, it helps, you know, do small things like, uh, pay the bills. And it does beautiful, huge things like supporting families who struggle with, um, putting food on the table or uh, making rent or paying utilities during this time. There's a number of ways to give. You can drop by the church office. There's a mail slot. You can drop your offering in there. There's also a link uh, to the donation in the description of this video, or if it's not there, you can find it in the chat, and that'll be a way uh, to give as well. Um, With your service, uh, this is uh, every single day that you continue to be a witness in your community. Um, you can think about deferring to the other and um, helping other folks out as you're able during this time. So let's begin our time with a prayer. Will you pray with me? God of mercy and compassion, we begin our time of worship together lifting our hearts many of us have been running ragged this week, shopping for supplies, caring for our families, changing work schedules around, adapting our childcare needs, practicing social distancing, preparing for difficult times ahead, and so Lord, draw near to us today. In this season where we feel distant from one another, we admit that at times we even feel distant from you. Gracious God, we turn away from our selfishness, we turn away from our prideful ambitions, and we look to you for guidance and assurance in these times. For you are our hope and salvation. Amen. When I was consulting about what scriptures to read today um, as a good Methodist pastor, I consulted the lectionary, and the scripture reading from the Old Testament or from the Psalms is Psalm 23. So friends, hear these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. May God bless this reading of God's holy word. Amen.
1: Great is the Lord, he is holy and just. By his power we trust in his love. Is the Lord, He is faithful and true. By His mercy, He proves He is a Lord. Great is the Lord, and worthy of glory. Great is the lord he is holy and just by his power we trust in his love great is the lord he is faithful and true by his mercy he proves he is a love great are you lord and worthy of glory great are you lord and worthy of
0: Man, what a week it has been. I think I'm going to be saying that every week for the foreseeable future, like all of our church functions, all of our society functions, which are just so embodied, have come to like a grinding halt. They've just dropped off. And I believe uh, everyone really is reeling from the change in our lives. I mean, I don't know if you've been to like HEB or Kroger or Bucky's. I don't I don't know. But shopping is stressful. It is uh it is stressful. Caring for my three children all at the same time all of a sudden is stressful. Trying to get work done at home with those three children under the age of six kind of clawing for my attention is stressful. Uh the financial market is Uh, Just don't look. I just uh, urge you not to look. Um, It is stressful. The uncertainty about tomorrow is something that we've always faced. We've always faced uncertainty. But the uncertainty about tomorrow in the midst of what's going on in our society right now is something that is new for all of us. Uh, One media site rolled out uh, an article, an opinion article, with the title, Coronavirus. Coronavirus changes everything. And for the most part, I really find myself nodding in agreement with what they're saying, because when life's storms rear up, I find myself thinking, like, this changes everything. It changes how I interact with my peers. It changes how I interact with my family. It changes how I interact with my job. And I've been working at home uh, all week, which is a little change for me. And I I gave the week off to a lot of the staff at Chapelwood, not out of some huge amount of generosity or because there was no work to be done, uh, more out of the mindset that you cannot minister to others if your own life is completely upside down. And so uh, our staff have been taking time to prepare, really to hit the ground running this week, to reach out and minister to folks in our community. During this week, I've been doing what many of you have been doing. I've been uh, preparing, shopping, working, balancing, all of those things. And I've been thinking to myself, asking this question as I'm doing my grocery shopping or as I'm sort of organizing the pantry again, um, man, what am I going to preach about on Sunday? Uh, Because one class I didn't take in seminary was how to preach during a pandemic, just didn't have it. It was not an elective. They they don't talk about it. So it's on-the-job training, and uh, it is an opportunity uh, to preach hope, I think. So where do you turn? Where do you look? When life goes completely sideways, where is our hope? I've always been someone who likes to read. In particular, I remember being young and climbing underneath this buffet we had, and I would open up my third grade Bible, and I would read these stories, and they would just come alive for me. When I was a freshman in college, I uh, sat under uh, a mentor of mine. His name is Dave Smith. Dave, if you're watching, hello. Uh, And he would read huge portions of scripture. And as he did that, it came alive in a different way. And I began to see things in the text that I had not seen before. So when I ask this question, where is our hope? I I think of one thing, and that is the stories of Christ in the Gospels. And so I want to read from Mark chapter 4, but before that, I want to remind us a little bit about who Mark is and what he's writing and where you can find this story. Mark is one of the earliest gospels. It's one of the shortest gospels. It's about 16 chapters long, and it's found in the New Testament, which is that part right after the Old Testament. It's one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Mark shares a tradition with Matthew and Luke where they all draw from similar sources and stories. They're called the synoptic gospels, which means same. And so when we encounter Mark, it's a very fast-paced gospel. Jesus is always on the move, always going somewhere. It's a relentless pursuit of the kingdom of God and a relentless onslaught of the coming of God to here and now in this place. So when we hear Jesus, uh, these stories of Jesus, they begin to sort of take shape. So hear these words from Mark chapter 4 verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.'" And the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Man, if you look at this, verse by verse, things come alive. Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side. They're going to just go to the other side of this body of water. Jesus has been preaching in uh, this area around the Sea of Galilee. He's been gathering disciples, and he's been working miracles. He's beginning his ministry. And this is the first of multiple sea crossings in the life of Christ. And he leaves the crowd behind them, and he gets in the boat... And this is not a a singular experience. He's not in self-quarantine on the boat. There are other boats with him. But you can imagine this sort of small fleet of fishing vessels working its way across the sea. And the sea in ancient times should conjure up a lot of meaning for the readers of this text. It's a place of huge uncertainty. Uh, When you would sail, you would stay near the coastline because that's how you could navigate. If you ever got out into open water where you couldn't see the coastline, you were good as gone. And they're moving across the Sea of Galilee together, trying to get to the other side. And then this great windstorm arises, right? The sea is this place of chaos, All the way back in the Old Testament in the first book of the Bible and the first book of the Hebrew Scriptures is the book of Genesis. It says in the beginning was chaos and the void and the chaos hovered over the waters. And so this water and chaos, this is the same motif through all of Scripture. This place is a, a place of uncertainty, of unknown, of chaos. But Jesus is in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He's taking a power nap. And I love that because if you look back into verse 35, it says, they took him with him just as he was, which raises this question like, well, how was Jesus? We like to think of Jesus as this guy who walked around in like a, a white robe with like a bu- uh, blue beauty pageant like sash on and perfectly like coiffed hair. But like Jesus is earthy. There's physicality to him. And I wonder if after preaching and teaching in his around his hometown and working with his disciples, if Jesus was just plain tired. And so they take him and he's tired and so he falls asleep on the boat he's sleeping there with a sort of calmness about him and then the storm rolls in, which if you've been to Israel and you've been uh, near the Sea of Galilee, uh, you know that this can happen at a moment's notice. If you live on the coastline, uh, if you live in Florida or anywhere in the Gulf Coast, you know that storms can roll in off the Gulf easily. This is a, 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 not a strange occurrence in ancient time and not a strange occurrence to maritime people. And then they are um, beginning to take on water. Maybe they're overloaded with people in the boat, but the boat is not really sufficiently made to weather this sort of storm. And so water begins sort of sloshing over the sides and they're bailing it out. And and then they begin to cry out, Teacher, do you not care? We're perishing. I don't know, as I look at the news these past few days, this... Phrase has been coming up in my mind over and over again. God, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? And so Jesus wakes up from his power nap (laughs) and he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, Peace and be still. I think those are some powerful words. For us today, as the sea of uncertainty and as the waves sort of batter the ship, peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And then Jesus looks at the disciples. It's unclear who he's talking to, right? Is he talking to Peter, who is singled out a lot of the times? Poor Peter. Uh, or is he talking to the whole ship? Is he talking to not only his ship, but all the ships around him that were with him as well? And he says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Man, I think if, uh, the, it's a sort of a rhetorical question, but I think the disciples probably like... Um, I guess we don't have enough faith. We were terrified. And this is a, a, a rough question that they're given. They were filled with great awe, as anyone would be who witnessed this, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? As you look at that verse by verse, that last question sort of hangs there. Who then is this, that even, even the wind and the sea OBEY HIM. Because if you look at the next chapter in chapter 5, Jesus finally gets to his destination on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He gets there, and the disciples sort of unload off the boats. And there is a man who is possessed by a demon, and it is a a dramatic scene. It is big, and uh, there's the whole entire thing about chains and the graveyard, and then there's pigs involved. You might know the story. I want to encourage you to read it in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. He uh, encounters this man, and Jesus um, heals him of his affliction. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then he lands, and he heals this man who's possessed by a demon. In the next section of text, in verse 21, Jesus crosses the waters again And he comes to uh, another town, and there is a, a leader of the synagogue whose daughter is ill and dying. And he says, "'Teacher, you need to come and heal my daughter.'" And Jesus says, okay, well, let's go. And he begins to move through town, and people begin to crowd around him. And then one woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And then she is healed of her issue of blood. She has this sort of hemorrhaging problem. And Jesus has an encounter with this woman. And who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this that... Cures a man of demon possession. Who then is this that even is able to cure this woman's blood disorder? Well, by the time Jesus gets to the synagogue leader's destination, too much time has elapsed and she is dead. And then Jesus says, She's just sleeping, and they laugh at him. They say, Jesus, you're ridiculous. You don't understand, man. She's dead. And Jesus takes a few disciples in to the back room where she is laying there. And he prays and he heals her. And she is brought back from the dead. And the disciples are awestruck at what they see. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. Mark wants us to see uh, as he sets up these stories that Jesus is in charge of the sea. He is in charge of these uh, demons. He is in charge of the sickness and he is in charge ultimately of death. When life goes sideways, and the storms rage, and the waves crash, and the boat is being swamped with water, when we feel and fear that we are perishing, Jesus is still Lord. And the disciples ask themselves, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, everything is has changed in the past few weeks for us. And I suspect, over time, things will return to some sort of new normal. Everything has changed. Everything about our lives has changed. Except one thing. And that one thing is that Jesus is still Lord. And perhaps in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of fear, in the midst of uh, panic buying, in the midst of predicted job loss, and in the midst of predicted economic downturn, Jesus is Lord. When we begin to order our lives around that beautiful truth, when we place our our whole selves under the lordship of Christ, it does something. It it changes us. It changes how we act and how we behave and how we think. It it changes who we intrinsically are as people. Fears begin to subside. And anxiety is lowered. Our hearts, they turn to compassion. Instead of being oriented inward on ourselves, we begin to face outward and look to others. Instead of stockpiling bullets, we stockpile mercy. Instead of hoarding more bottled water than we could ever consume, we give it to those in need. Instead of running over people in line at the grocery store, we defer to the elderly and the most vulnerable. So when life gets bad, and when waves crash and the boat is swamped, Jesus is still Lord. And I think there's great hope in that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we continue worshiping together, we come to a time of prayer together. I'll begin with um, a pastoral prayer, and then we'll close with the Lord's prayer. And so together, let us pray. God of mercy and compassion, we just slow down this morning. We notice not only you in our life, but we want to take notice of ourselves. We want to notice any fear we may have, any anxiety we may have, and we want to place those into your capable, Loving and compassionate hands. Lord, we know there are people already impacted by this disease, and there are people who are sheltering in place who are scared. There are people in the hospitals who feel lonely so, gracious God, draw near to them. Lord, there are a number of things also that continue to weigh on us, weigh on our hearts, weigh on our minds things that impact us deeply, that are difficult to share when we don't have that day-to-day interaction with people when we don't have that weekly worship service in a building, when we don't have a, a Sunday school or a small group that we can go to, when we are left at an arm's distance from people, we have a number of things that build up in us. And so, God, we want to pause And we want to lay all of those things at your feet. Gracious God, it's with the confidence of children, boldly, that we approach your throne, saying together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Amen.